Welcome to this edition of Franchise Radio Show, where we interview famous franchisors and share some of their secrets to their success and the uh, the the journey they've had to get where they are today. I'm very fortunate. I've got uh, one of the legends of franchise with me, and to give you a clue, the title of the uh, of the session today is called "How the Chicken Crossed the Road," and it's really showing you how it's grown grown into a multi-million dollar business. What we're doing is talking about Leonard's, where um, their, uh, their maxim is the best meals start with the best ingredients. Uh, they offer innovative and convenient, nutritious, ready-to-cook meals. Over 300 locations throughout Australia. Um, all their chickens are barn-raised, hormone-free, steroid-free, with a healthy dose of uh, protein, selenium, and the various vitamins and so on. So they go back to being founded in 1987, a year we all... You just remember the year of the stock market crash, and the day that was the year I started broking in franchising. So, uh, Master Butcher Leonard Alter um, was the man who founded it, and without any question, he's Australia's number one specialty chicken retailer, um, really focused on providing delicious meals. And we're going to learn how he's managed to keep his business at the forefront of a dynamic and challenging industry with all the ups and downs and the competitors. Uh, it's interesting that since that first store opened in Queensland in 1987, they sold more than 400 million chickens <laughs> to 130 million customers. So, um, And they have accounted well over a billion dollars worth of uh, funds being pumped into the poultry market. So absolutely huge impact in the economy. And they employ 2,000 staff. Um, so quite significant. And Le Leonard, lovely to have you here. I do consider you're a veteran of franchising in this country. And, uh, um, you know, you came into the concept when it was comparatively new in Australia. Um, and you took it to a marketplace, which was, was, I suppose, fresh from that point of view. So what I'd like to do is be able to share some of your experiences on the journey. Uh, gee, very close to 30 years now. So it's some, uh, some history. So for the benefit of our listeners, is there anything I've, I've left out there that you'd like to add or adapt um, on my introduction? No, I think you've covered it pretty, pretty well. In fact, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's been an interesting journey, I must say, um, over the years, but probably no more interesting than it is right now. Um, I, find, I find that every day you get up, you've always got another challenge, especially in franchising and, and, and on top of that being in retailing, which is probably my passion retailing more than anything else. And I was very lucky just to have the opportunity to be in a place where chicken was um, looked at as a, a cheaper commodity product. And um, what we happen to be able to be very good at is to add value and also have a consumer at the right time, in the right place, looking for more convenience in the home lifestyle, food, eating uh, area. And we've taken, had an enormous um 28 years, as you said, nearly 30 years in the business, but enormous uh, steps with our customers all the way through. It was only just recently that um, a young lady said to me, she said her, uh, her boyfriend, and she was about 25 or something, she said her boyfriend didn't know who Leonard's were. <laughs> but she said to me, I've been brought up with Leonard's. So to me, that was a... And she introduced Leonard's range of products to him and he didn't realise that what he'd been missing out on and he blamed his mum not to look out for Leonard's <laughs> in the shops. But uh, yes, yeah, for me that was a great opportunity to 
if somebody has actually gone through life eating and uh, our product range uh, for over a 28 year period, which was quite just just a bit of a reflection for me. To um, it's um, I got a bit of a buzz out of it. It's uh, great to be able to talk to. I can imagine, and, and I have similar experiences, I suppose we all do if we've been in business and so forth for a number of years. So I'll go slightly off my agenda there because what that prompts me to ask is, Leonard, you've been doing it for a long time. I'm sure you could retire, and like me, you probably did. Why do you do what you do? What gets you out of bed in the mornings? Well, um, I, I think, as I said before, retailing is a is something that revolves in, in Australia. Like retailing right now has never been more dramatic, uh, especially in the food industry with our supermarkets. So uh, the way they're challenging each other and where the next opportunity is going to be in the fresh food industry in Australia or the fast food industry or where just food in general, um, that gets me out of bed. I, I just love um, retailing and I, I love... I love um, Improving, um, you know, that whole consistency, uh, that whole life of the consist, uh, just re-invitalizing yourself, re, re-energizing yourself to, to find the next place, the next step to go. I must say to a degree, I'm getting a little bit tired these days. It's harder, harder now because the industry as a whole has gone past me. Um, my days of communication to consumers were simple. Um, my my life was basically you uh, made a good product, marketed a good product through the simple flows of um, TV, radio, or um, papers. These days, you've got to understand the internet and, and and the consumer and how they work that. And that's gone. I've gone a little bit past that part. I, I'm, I must admit, I'm struggling to keep up with that section of the the marketplace. But food itself. Uh, we all eat it every day, so that, that's what drives me. I, I just love the love the opportunities to try new things in uh, the food industry. Yeah, look, and that's you've got the passion, and you've got a great team behind you to do all the other things you need to do. So you're the you're the choir master, I suppose. You know, you come up with the ideas, and, yeah, and they they make that's it. That's a good way. Of, that's a good way of putting it. You know, um, leading the leading the group. Group about consumers and understanding consumers. You know, I'm a very lucky person, as I say. Um, you know, over fifty thousand hours of my life I spent eating, <laughs> and I think um, not, far, not, not far behind that was probably having a glass of red. <laughs> <laughs> a healthy, a healthy combination. And I must say, I, that, that sort of epitomises to me, and it will come out in the, in, as we discuss these other things about about franchising. You can see why the independent retailer trying to survive in that industry you're in, specialising in chicken, and keep on top of all the evolution of changes, it's just too much for them to do. And that's where you've got that knowledge and that passion and the time and the team to be able to actually do that and adapt and react and produce all the new menus and so on and so forth. So uh, it epitomises. Yeah, that's true. The independent retailer itself has still has one thing over the larger chains, which is like flexibility, and I've always believed that flexibility is a very important part of being in retailing, especially being in food. Uh, I looked at Leonard uh, for a long, long time as, as, as a company, as, as the fashion designers of the food industry, but not necessarily at the restaurant area, but more of that, that real, medi- a real a meal-ready, take-home sort of food. Mm, mm, yeah. 
Good. And if you're leading design and leading ways of producing it, you're a, you're a market leader all the time, where the individual doesn't have that opportunity. But they have a lot of creativeness, but they just can't get consumers to their their stores because um, their lack of uh, finance, of support, uh, lack of volumes um, to get a product to the marketplace is um, that's where they fall over. That's why franchising is a great model. Yeah, tell me. That, I mean, that's that's fascinating. So, what I want to do is dig a bit deeper. So, can, perhaps you can give me a bit of your background. I mean, when you what motivated you to get into business in the first place before you even <laughs> hey, franchise? Good point. Yeah. Uh, well, good point. Now, I, I, I think it's a part of a person's character. But uh, I, I left school right back in the early days, and um, I was on left school at sixteen. Um, Dad told me to get a job, and I wanted to be a I wanted to be an artist. I really did want to paint and be oh. in that industry. And um, after a couple of weeks at home, you know, the big 12, size 12 boot kicked me in the bum and told me to get out and get a real job. <laughs> and I wasn't a great, I wasn't great at school. I must admit, my my spelling was pretty ordinary. So I picked up in in those days a paper, and uh, in the Situation baked and I went A B and there's a butcher's job advertised so I went for that. <laughs> got got the job and um, what I found then as I I started after a year or so I started to understand that using my own creativity that I had within myself from that from that background of being in art and things like that that I could actually infuse what I my knowledge into uh, the industry I was in. You might think, what does he mean by that? But it was really the overall imaging of the store, the, the overall outlay of the store, how customers perceive uh, you as a, a retailer. Now, it might sound silly as a butcher shop, but as you know, butchers put windows in every day and they have fresh cuts and they, they've got to make their store pretty good. Well, that's one of the areas that I actually have sold in, in that area, in window display, merchandising, and then that category. Uh, on top of that, I, I also had that imagination to be able to take um, and add more things into the range and take things out of the range to make more profitability. So I sold my last butcher shop in 87 and jumped in my car and drove all the way to Cairns from Melbourne, looked at shopping centers at my wife's expense. She was happy, but, I, you know, I was very quick walking through shopping centers. I only want to look at the food area. <laughs> so it took me about two weeks to get up to Cairns, spent a couple of weeks up there and um, decided that um, my life was going to go from the butcher shop into chicken. <laughs> and my reasons for that was because my last butcher shop, something like 50% of my sales were coming from chicken because I was doing a lot of added value. And I just felt that there was a market for um, a, a, a chicken chain and I've got, to, I've got to stress, the idea of living in Queensland was really exciting me because it's a lovely place and lovely weather. So I bailed the kids in the car and we, you know, um, took them home and within about three weeks I was on me in my little yellow car and drove all the way back and established uh, our first shop at Sunnybank uh, within about two, three months after that and had the... Third shop within um, within twelve months. Wow, that's quite. That's, um, that's really going at a serious pace. I mean, you've been in retail, so you knew you knew retail, you knew butchery, but they're still moving pretty. I was confident. Hmm. 
I was confident, but at the same time, I, I've got to stress that we, I did, a lot of people that don't do this, they do it after the effect, but I actually had a fundamental franchise agreement in place before I even opened up my first door. Right. So I had an understanding what franchising was, but it wasn't until I started the franchise that I realised I had to learn more about it. <laughs> it's like so many people in this world go out and get married and then they start to realise you've got to learn what marriage is about. And that's exactly the same profile of franchising. You know, I see so many people ringing me up and say, I want to franchise this, I want to franchise that. And I said, well, you've really got to learn about what franchising is before you actually go out and franchise because it's about having having a lot of relationships and in relationships, people's mindset, they're all different. And let's be honest, I mean, um, you know, you've got kids in your house, you've got family members in your family, and you know yourself in that format. The people are different. Everybody in the household, everybody in your family are all different. Mm. And that's exactly the same as franchising. I find it's the expectation is the thing that in franchising that most franchisors have got to look at. They've got to find that understanding how to relate your expectations and the franchisees' expectations to make sure that they both meet in at, at the nice balance of your level. That, that's, that's wisdom um, in spades there because uh, uh, I suppose my experiences would certainly certainly endorse that and many I've seen, and particularly the franchisors and today, just the same as going back years ago, getting out there and setting up, getting a couple of three franchisees and don't understand the first thing about franchises. So you're right, you've got to learn about it first. Know what you know. What you're doing. At, least, at least learn about the philosophies of, of franchising and, and, and network with as many uh, franchisors as, as possible. I, I do believe the franchise breakfasts around Australia are great. I think the conferences are fantastic and, and there's a lot of expertise out there now. Uh, when I first started, there wasn't a lot of expertise, but there was a handful of people at the top end of that tree who were very open and willing to 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 relate their experiences and give you some hints about what you should be doing and moving forward. Tell me, you've gone from three stores in a year to, correct me if I'm around 300. That's a long way. What, have there been any particular landmarks along the journey there from the point of view of the development of Leonard's? Uh, Leonard? Yeah, I think, I think the, I think the, it was amazing. It's a good story, but it's, I mean, it took us a while to, uh, really get people, as I said, it really took us a while to understand what we were doing. We weren't just selling a business. We were actually had to go back and support. And that, getting a support, I reckon getting a good support system in place, that is, that is, that was, that's the biggest landmark. And once we got that support system in place, you could literally see the growth period then come after that again. And that took us probably 20 or 30 stores before we really realised that, before we got a, a lot of people in our, we could hire enough people to support a franchise network. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. It's that tipping point, isn't it, where you, like with anything, yeah. you know, there's a volume you need to get to make it viable, um, and there's time you need to learn. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's bringing the two together in a confluence, isn't it? Yes. As, as a business model, one of the things that we did after we got to that 30 of the stores, 40 stores, we, we, I went out and, 
Um, the strategy for me was to get to around Australia as quick as possible, and I was very lucky to have uh, four or five master franchises in each region, which I went out and found ourselves, and we empowered ourselves to have growth, and each of those master licenses in each of those regions really did a really good job over that early period to help us get to that area. It was just oh, well, only five years ago that we brought, five, six years ago, that we brought all those back and brought them in under one umbrella. Oh. And um, there's, there's a learning curve in that too. I mean, um, the service that they were giving was a lot, probably a lot better, and I could probably give the service from, the, from Queensland, but we've improved that now. We've understood the change we had to implement into our system had to be a lot more uh, more mature than what it was when we had the mature partners there. So it's just it's a never never ending learning process of going through change. It is. I mean, that's what I find inspiring about franchising. You find out new evolutionary ideas, different ways of doing things. You come across people with different skills. And, of course, there's all the tools that become available. Um, so I'm interested to dig, ask a bit more about the masters. Um, you know, some people say, yep, we need master franchisors to grow the business exactly as you said because they can deliver what you can't. You don't have the time to do it properly and perhaps not even the knowledge initially at some stage. So... How did you source those? Did you advertise and select them, or did you approach butcher shops, or how did you do that? No, actually, believe it or not, the last thing in the world I did was actually talk to butchers, because basically, <laughs> uh, butchers have a, a, a creativity in their own mind, and they've left their own position in the marketplace, and I didn't need that. I needed cleaner, sort of, a train. I needed people that I could actually develop and train under our model. Yeah. So we, I, search, I went out and searched out people, and they searched out me, of course, at yeah. Opportunistic, uh, in Melbourne, in Adelaide, in Perth, and uh, we also did Far North Queensland and Sydney. And those, bringing that knowledge in as a group was a real strengthening thing. I mean, even though we all have different ways, and even though I was the franchisor, there was definitely a, a lot of brain power brought into the business too by mm. adding them into your business. Yeah. So people, some people, some people have been declined. A lot of people say master franchise is not the way to go. But in the early days when you start off with a very limited amount of capital, honestly, I think it is, if you've got a unique product and a new concept, the quicker you get it to the market, the, the longer, more, more than likely, the longer you're going to have in the business world. And, um, that's why now, 28 years after, we're still there, even though we've had our drop-offs and we're rebuilding, right, we're going through a rebuilding stage and a refocus stage again now. But we wouldn't have got there if we didn't have that structure. And the only way you get that structure is to be willing to share your income. Yeah. You know, and to get yourself to a certain size. What that size is, I don't know. I really don't know what that size is because I don't know what the product is somebody might be listening to this about. But in my business, 70 stores was around about where we needed to maintain a reasonable office, um, to have a good development team and a good operational team and a good financing team to service at a standard that you needed. Now, that's in my retail sector. Mm. And then when we grew up for that, believe it or not, you know, you think you've got it all right, but then there was more pressure and more pressure to spend more money and more money I'm getting it better and better and better. So you know you don't you don't ever stop. 
Yeah, that's obviously no what uh, <clears throat> That's what gets you out better than me. So, I mean, and look, the big part of that that we've all seen, if we've been, you know, consumers over that three decades, is the evolution of supermarkets going into butchery and chickens and and really, I mean, I see it. I look at what they do these days in the major chains, and they literally literally copy what you do with their pre-prepared meals. So, how have you handled that aggressive competition? So, I mean, they've got so much money to throw at it. Well, that's 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 very very true, and I, and it is. And there's not many there's not many countries in the world that let supermarkets dominate the market the marketplace like they do. We're very lucky. We've got a relationship with IGA, and that's worked quite well for us. Okay. And that's one area, even though you know there's base they have their ups and downs in the marketplace. But the good IGA operators are still uh, still doing a very very good job out there, and they're they're working. They work with us. So. We had some some of the IGA stores earning this Christmas up thirty forty percent on sales from the year before. So we we know we got the right model. Uh, you talk about coffee coffee chat chats. Look, we have to be our product development has to be uh, the the market leader. Hmm. And if, as soon as we drop off and get a little bit lazy, we get six months will take that market from us. But really, as we design, we have a whole new way of putting extra from anything and being the mark leader. And they can't give you fresh. They can't give you fresh made daily. We make our product fresh daily. It's not made in the factory. It's made in the store. That system is uniquely so that's so good that supermarkets can't copy that. They've got to buy it in the factory. It's four days old before the supermarket gets it. The people in the store at the supermarket have no knowledge. No understanding, no retail skills to actually be able to give you the knowledge that you need to make this product at home uh, produce. And that's why I say that um, there's always going to be a marketplace somewhere, whether it's fruit and veggies or canned food or something, but there's always an opportunity because the flexibility you have in small retailing is something that is really good for um, business and people don't see that. And being in a franchisor, can I say, a big business? Yeah, but we have that flexibility. We can change things within a matter of two weeks because we've got retailers that have been trained and developed to know how to run a business, to pick up a piece of chicken, and they've been taught and knowledge about what they sell. And so we've, we've got that flexibility. We just, the franchisee doesn't have the flexibility as much that our head office has to be the one that reacts to that marketplace as quick as possible. That's fantastic. No, so sorry, interrupt you there. No, that's all. I'm right. just saying that, as I said before, we're the fashion designers. Yeah, we absolutely. We have to keep marketplace. Yeah, yeah. Look, yours is a story of going from, you know, from, from, from being an aspiring artist to a master chef. <laughs> and you, you're on telly every day at your shop fronts. I mean, people are there looking at the screen, your big glass counters. So... Um, it's exactly right. That's right. <laughs> I'm fascinated with, um, you know, I'm a great one of joint ventures and partnerships, and uh, some people do it well, some are terrified of even the thought, but what made you approach, or how did you come to tie up with what was, I would perceive, be one of your competitors, IGA? Do they do they have a sub-franchise, or um, without wanting any interest? No, yeah, they have a, they're a franchise, they're a franchise no different than a franchisee now. Okay. Uh, they run, most of them run, most of them, I would say, most, the majority of them run a store within a store model, like okay. you do in our shops. Yeah. Um, 
We started off with Richie's. They wanted to appoint a difference over their competitors, and they felt that Leonard's had a, a point of difference. And then IGA Petcash itself approached us and said, okay, they'd like to have the brand in as many stores. Remember, IGA are independent uh, supermarket owners. Um. So then, to me, I look at them as the local owner, and they're no different than our local franchisees. Hmm. And that's what I like. That's what I like about the IGA network is because there is a place in the market for them. Yeah. And there's a great opportunity for IGA to stand out. I and mean, you can have your oldies, you can have this and have that. But one day, uh, IGA might turn around and realise that um, their biggest asset is their flexibility, and their flexibility is in training, developing, educating their staff to be the best in the marketplace. That's fantastic. Um, I, I love that principle, and it's one that I think there are people could look at and say, you know, who's my, you, know, you could say, competitor, certainly someone in the same space. So um, if we look at, I mean, if you were starting off today, what would you do different from what you did 30 years ago, Leonard? Um, if I started off today, I probably, probably, from a business point of view, probably wouldn't do anything different. But if... Um, you, you, you talk, the question is starting off today knowing what I know and what's in the marketplace. Yeah, yeah. Would you have approached it differently? Would you have done what you did, you know, open three stores in the first year and then and then go to the, the state masters in a reasonably short time and get those numbers up with, with their aspects? Yeah, I, I wouldn't I, I don't believe you could change it. The reason why you can't really change it is because your lack of, if you don't have the capital, and you've just got to understand that the capital would have to be, you know yourself, I'm sure, just to do something like Leonard's yeah. and get it rolled out. You've really got to have something like five, six, maybe maybe ten million dollars in your bank yeah. to make something like work before mm. it really starts to pour cash back into you. Because if you're starting off with no franchise agreement, no um, training manuals, no this, no that, you know, there's so many things behind the scene of a franchise model, franchise cause model, mm. that people who buy your franchise do never really actually understand how it got there. Mm. Yeah, and from your point of view, it's been an evolutionary sort of thing, part by demand, necessity, and part because you've aspired to grow the business. So you've incrementally had to do this and had to do that and put regional franchise agreements together and that sort of thing. Yeah, it'd be, it would have been simpler if I actually went up and actually opened up a hamburger shop because I could have taken the McDonald's model and copied it, changed the name and went off and did it. But what we did was uniquely different. Hmm. People don't realise that they're the only people in the world who do what we did. Is that right? So oh. you, and that's why we're uniquely different to anybody else in the world. And people just don't, people struggle to understand that part of it. But I look at that as an opportunity and a point of difference that we have the people can't just copy you. No, no. Now, look, understanding that, mm, understanding that, I can see why. I mean, you, you've explained it, the flexibility you've got with your system. So um, w would you better nail three key points you think are the most important things for, for you know, a new franchisor to address? A new franchisor is definitely, yeah. um, well, I think, Expectations is one. His expectation has to be very clearly educated out to uh, his staff, but also the franchisee itself. 
and the franchisee coming in. So he, the franchisor has to understand the philosophy of expectations. Because so many people buy into his dream or his wishes or what he wants in life, and but they still have some other way of thinking of it. Or mm. uh, I've got to be clearly, clearly, and executed properly. And there's a balance between execution of um, disciplines, right? And and his weaknesses. Um, we could be strong and too hard or we could be too weak. There's a balance in that area that has to be looked after. I mean, what I say like this is that I've seen franchisors being dominating, dominant to the detriment of the business. <laughs> and I've seen franchisors being weak and soft and let franchisors get away far too much. Yeah. So getting that right balance, right, that right balance is so important to, um, especially in, especially in retail, but all franchises, I think, are very, very, um, that's, that's the most crucial area. Getting the balance between the franchisee and the franchise all right. I love the way you've explained that. That's just, this is, this is so succinct. So, so getting those expectations, you know, balanced with everyone so that everyone can have the win-win. So that's one really big thing. Yeah. What about, what about that, the that is, Sorry, come on. Second, well, I think it all, I think it all, I think it all covers in that, you know, I can take it out mm. three ways. Mm. But really, that I, I'll, I'll say to any franchise or, or anybody listening to this right now, Look at the product first and, and really understand. When I say product, yeah, I've got a chicken, I've developed it this way. It could be a, it could be a cupboard, it could be, I don't know, it could be plumbing. I don't know what it is. Mm. But make sure it's not your fantasy and it doesn't go anywhere. You know what I mean? It's got to be uniquely a point of difference in this marketplace today. Yeah. You know, yeah, when yeah. I sat and I, I deliberately took something from an industry took it away from that industry and specialised it. Yeah. Okay? And I took an industry, which is the chicken industry, and made it more... Uh, I, I, I've been a major part of the growth part of that industry in Australia because I've given it direction. Okay. Now, I'm not saying that everybody can do that, but I'm saying that if you're really seriously about being in franchising, make sure that your product, right, fits into the marketplace and what you're selling to franchisees is not just a dream, but it's something that, that can be achieved. Yeah, no, there, there again, that's, that's great. Um, probably pushing you here, would you have a third one? <laughs> so if, if, if I'm a new franchisor and I'm getting myself sorted and I've got a balance of the expectations and I'm sure I can share that with everybody and take the time to understand what they what their expectations are and make sure we can help them achieve that and and I've also I've got the, the product so I'm able to give myself a point of difference in the industry I'm in uh, what, what's the next point that's critically important well from my point of view what's been very critically important for me and maybe not for everybody else because as I said before I was a butcher by trade I didn't finish the high school I'll go to what's name but but surround yourself definitely with good people and not be frightened to share, uh, your, your, not be frightened to share your, uh, your financial outcome. Yeah. With people and surround yourself with very, very good people who help you get to where you want to get to with your dreams. Yeah, so it's the team. It's the team and family. That's, that's great. So, um, we, we know that selecting the right franchisees is something that, you know, 
there are many people that go out there, and particularly in the earlier days of franchising, just found somebody who had the money, was enthusiastic, and they gave them a franchise. We know it's a lot, you know, it's much more critically important that you can't evolve, you can't just leave it at that. So it, it must involve some hard decisions sometimes um, from the point of view of, you know, maybe maybe declining people that absolutely love to be involved and, you know, putting pressure on you. What, what's your view on selecting the right franchisees, Leonard? Um, should I say to you, I, uh, look, you'll, you'll know sometimes that they're good and you know, sometimes that they're, you know that they may be not good, but I've always believed that your model and your training programs and things like that should be able to fit most people in the marketplace. So when when you talk as that you take 100 people, I would say that probably one or two times out of 100 people, you might say no. The rest of the time, your model should fit that person. Right. So to me, delivering a very good model, and as long as their mindset's right and those sort of things, yeah. you can do all the profiling you like. Yeah. At the end of the day, those profile. I've seen people do profiles and fail and be the best franchisee at the end of it, and yeah. I've seen people pass them and fail. Yeah. So... It's not, it's not that, it's their mindset and how they want to approach the business and that's back to those expectations. So to me, picking the right franchisee is, um, I, I don't have a lot of, I think my model has to work. Yeah. And if it doesn't work into that, if it doesn't, doesn't if it can't work into that shopping centre, if it can't work in this area of what it is, Nobody should be there. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. In other words, yeah, you can't expect the person to perform miracles. You've got to give them a site that's got the capacity. Make sure that there are enthusiasm. They got the right mindset. They got the ambition, and they understand it's going to be a couple of three years hard slog before they start seeing you know any return of significance possibly. Look, I, I, I quickly come up to a certain financial model, like a, a profile of a business. And shopping centres would regularly come to me and say, look, hey, this is the rent, this is the deal, all this sort of stuff. And I would say, well, it doesn't fit our model. Even yeah. though a good franchisee, really, really good one, would make that work. And that's what they say to me. I said, well, that's not the point. No. What happens if it's a bad franchisee? Not, not a bad franchisee, but a franchisee that doesn't have the energy but still entitled to have a business. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. they might want to... You know, there's, there's a balance. If I always took the best sites... I probably still only have ten, you know, and I probably would. And, and trying to find the perfect franchisee, uh, you might end up having, having you might end up having five out of hundred instead, you know, because you won't you won't that won't work. You've got to make the model work. The system, the system, and the model. So well, it's got to fit the person, and then you have to make sure that those people going into those stores understand what they're getting into. So it's like having a Formula One racing car and putting someone in who hasn't got the competence as a driver or the confidence to handle the speed, they're never going to get across the line first sort of thing. That's, that's very, very, very true. So you don't jump, don't let anybody jump into a Formula One. And if they did, and there are times we've given franchisee stores that are open up the first week, it's $40,000. And that's, it might sound like, oh, that's good. But mate, that destroys them also. That's just, but the the amount of um like I say the extra cash in their pocket the <laughs> extra uh, work and the energy and the emotions it's, it's an enormous amount of things and there's another shop of I've done up and do fifteen thousand dollars in the first yeah so it's overwhelming uh, it's really it takes time to it, learn it, it, 
yeah, it takes time to learn and fit yourself into a model like that properly. And um, I've always said that, um, you know, um, we have to support those franchisees, and that's why it took us a long time to get enough people. We 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 sweat on training programs, and we sweat on franchisees being at a certain level. And it's only ones at a certain level out of that hundred are the ones that are getting get themselves to being successful. And um, we can't always pick that person out. No, Charmy. Another another question. You might want to sidestep this, but. People that prove not to be successful for whatever reason, what, what's, what's your remedy, your, your point of view? How do you handle that? Well, in in the past, I would say the best personally, I mean, not necessarily from the corporate point of view, because once a corporation takes over its franchises, like, it, um, it, it, to me, it gets a bit cold-hearted. Yeah. But yeah. myself, personally, was always the best way was to get the franchises out with the less Lots as possible. Yeah. Right? As soon as, and as soon as possible. Because more you, longer you leave franchisee in a situation where they're, they're going backwards, the worst situation. But they've got to also want to do or achieve or see that themselves. And yeah. it's up to us to point that out to them. But mm-hmm. we still can't make that decision for a person. Remember, we have two businesses here. I, I tell franchises, guys, this is the franchise, but the word rental is a word you should consider. And they say, what do you mean by that? And I said, well, you're renting my business model for a while. You don't own it. Right. Yeah. And yeah. you have to understand, if you go and rent a car, you've got to look after it, you've got to fill it up, you've got to look after it, you've got to clean it, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. That's what you're doing. It's everybody's brand name there. So it's just a little way of educating people to say, hang on, yeah, I understand what you mean. Hey, we're in bed together? Yes. Well, we're not really. You're renting it to make money. Yeah, yeah. It's a means to an end, but uh, they they have to. Yeah, it's their responsibility to maintain the condition of it, sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. And my job is to look after the brand name and look after the product development, look after the standards, and make sure I'm looking after that franchisee who's probably maybe could be pulling the business apart and they're damaging the rest of the franchise's brand. So my job is to look after that and police that part of it and the product. But their job, and the franchisee must understand that, but their job is to execute the product in the store their, the way that they want to run their business under that model, which I, as I said, it's a renter. It's a renting. You're renting it for about a five-year period to make some money. You know, something I heard you say years ago, Bernard, um, uh, was uh, in talking about the reasons for your success, one of the things, that, um, if I remember correctly, that you drilled into your franchisees were, was standing across the aisle in the shopping centre from the, from the shop and just every day having a look at the store, look at the front, look at people's reaction, they walk past, mm-hmm. make sure the glass is clean, that you're stocked up all the time. Is that something that um, is part of your philosophy? Uh, very much so. We're going through this change again at the moment. Um, there is, and there's no doubt that we've become a little bit old in our overall imaging, mm. and uh, our imaging is a classic example where it fits in. Look, brand new store always looks good, but it's even a brand new store now looks a little bit old-fashioned. Okay. So we're just going, we're just going through a period now, but it still does. The philosophy of changing the wind, the look at the cabinets and changing the image of the store, it still doesn't change what you're saying. You've got to have the product in the window 
and mm. you've got to be prepared and ready to sell that product to consumers when they walk to the counter. Yeah. But yeah. you've also got to have a product that meets the consumer's needs and wants at that time. Yeah, yeah. So, so what we believe, what we believe that we're going through now is a re, repositioning of Leonard's with, I believe in the next five years, 50% of our product in the window will be a cook range pack up. Oh, so we're talking, yeah, I mean, I love repositioning because that's what the top performers, the people who keep achieving, often with simple products, decade after decade, your subways and everybody else like that, uh, is because they keep repositioning. And that's, so that's what you're doing now. You're going through changing the image, the way that's presented, and that's interesting. So what, what do you see the future well, in? We're going, we're going from fresh chicken to yeah. actually doing a small, like we're outside of most Woolworths of coal stores yeah. where we are, not most, but where we can be. Yeah. And we find that um, Woolworths and Coles have a barbecue chicken mates, and that's a market that's starting to become a large, larger market and it's grown over the last few years. Yeah. We find that that market under our model would be a better product for consumers. Yeah, uh, we right. also we also we also think that what we can do with the leftover chicken, which we'll roast per purpose, per, each day we'll cook twenty, fifty, hundred chickens more, and we will we'll put that into things like fresh pies, fresh pastas, fresh things like that, where it's still made on the premises, but it's got, it's down to that 10-minute warm-up period or, a, you know, that style of thing. You don't have to, you don't have to go home and cook it. You go home and heat it up. That's okay. what's, that's where our marketplace is heading. Yeah, look, at that, that comes back to fashion, to style, to trends of people being more discerning about what they eat and, on the other hand, being too busy and not wanting to cook it at home. So I can see that that makes a lot of sense. That's, 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 that's quite a significant change of direction. So you must have had thought about that long and hard, Leonard. Guys, well, the last couple of years I've been in the business for a yeah. while, fair bit. Yeah. And it's only this Christmas that I've pulled myself out again and, um, I'm letting the CEO run it for a while and right. see how they go. And, and then my job is to, uh, look at the marketplace and have a good look at it and just see where we're falling down and, and basically work from um, a directional area and sort of mentoring role within the business. That's a fantastic position to be in and you deserve it and it's something I'm sure from what you said in our opening, uh, our opening discussion there about the satisfaction of seeing people grow and achieve those sorts of things. You're in a position now to use your, could I, I use the word wisdom, you know, because you, you, you've just learned so much. It's in your blood, isn't it? You, 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 you just, there's no chicken. <laughs> I, I, I said it to one person recently. I said, I don't know what I don't know. No, no. <laughs> okay. you and you don't know until somebody like yourself asks you a question and then it just rolls out as, as like it's a normal thing for me. But if you asked me that 28 years ago, I probably wouldn't have, I probably wouldn't have known what to answer those questions today, but I have. I, ha I do believe that I have a lot of knowledge now in franchising and I do believe in food and retail and I have a lot of knowledge. And I also believe that one of the areas that I've strengthened myself on is in a, in a, in, in a one word, it's called lateral thinking. It's two words, but lateral thinking to me is very important in business. I, I think you've got to look at it, understanding what entrepreneurship is. Uh, and entrepreneurship is to me is a, a painter who paints a painting but he never actually ever gets it right first up. And yeah. most great artists paint a painting probably 10, 20, 30 times before they actually believe that they might have that one right. 
or they'll take periods of it. So to me, it's a consistent development of your life and you, you grow yourself as an individual in that marketplace and that's what I feel I have done now. And my role now in life is to mentor and, you know, anybody who wants to come along and wants to sit down and talk to me, I've always been open to that. That's fantastic. And look, I'm indebted to you. The things you shared with us today, um, you know, so, so unselfishly, are, are things which any new franchisor, anyone who aspires to be a franchisor, and probably most of the existing franchisors out there, um, would got, it's just full of so many wise ideas, great innovations and and directions to take, and uh, and even for people who are thinking about becoming franchisees, to understand the philosophy behind the whole industry, and someone like you as a leader is brilliant. So I'm I'm indebted to you for giving us so much time. Um, I'm sure everybody that's listening to this and does listen to it later and read the transcripts will say it's been an absolute privilege, Bennett. I'm really grateful to have uh, have uh, wanted you to share that with with us. That's amazingly generous. Um, thank you, I've really enjoyed it. No problems, and thank you very much. i just leave you one message. Not everybody's been successful in every franchise, and that's why people have got to be very, very careful when they enter it. Yeah. They've got to be careful about themselves more than the franchise model, uh, especially franchises. They've got to be very careful about their own character rather than what they're buying. That's very simple, right? So yeah. simple. And, and probably one of the hardest things for us to learn as human beings. So, <laughs> um, if people want to learn a bit more, I mean, look at your menus and so forth. Can I refer to my, okay, I'll give, you, give them your website. And, uh, I know there's lots of interesting info on there, some great menus, and uh, just seeing the way you present your business. No worries. Thank you very much. It's really pleasure. Thank you. That, that's fantastic. So, just to reiterate a few points, everybody, that I've made here, that Leonard has really seen as his key, I suppose some of his key points was uh, the reference to an artist and the fact that he's really worked through a canvas over all these years and continues to touch the painting up, but also the fact he had the confidence to grow and to use other people's capital by taking in state franchisors to cover the country as quickly as he possibly could and then growing. And I love the joint venture arrangement with IGA, so that's something wouldn't apply to everybody, but there's many people have the opportunity. But then those key points of making sure everybody's expectations are clearly understood and that you can all work together so that uh, basically there's no fantasy involved. You, you understand what's involved, and with your product along the line, it's having those points of difference. So there's other aspects as well here, which I won't go into now, but which you'll pick up. Um, perhaps if you listen to it again, the one I would drum into everybody's mind is mindset and the fact that they all have to really do some work on mindset, I believe, and learn how to understand who they are. And if you do that, you're a better person as well as a better business person. So, Leonard, you've certainly done that. Um, and thank you very much indeed. Look forward to speaking to you again when I next bump into you and uh, uh, leave it there. Thank you very much. Welcome to the Franchise Group.